Hello, welcome to the podcast at Chesbro Baptist Church. This is our Resurrection Sunday service, and we are closing out our series in Isaiah 53, entitled The Suffering Servant. I've enjoyed these five weeks in this series, going through this chapter verse by verse. No better day to end out this series than Easter Sunday. The title of the message this morning is The Sovereign Servant. Please enjoy. We've been going through a series in Isaiah 53. This is our fifth week in this chapter, and I've enjoyed every single Sunday. This is an amazing chapter. This is a prophecy of Jesus Christ that was given 700 years before Christ walked the earth. And it's so specific to Jesus that if Isaiah 53 was the only proof we had that there was a God, it would be enough. 700 years before Christ walked the earth, we were given Isaiah 53. Now we've worked our way through this chapter and today we will close out this series. If you have your places in Isaiah 53, one last time and ask you to stand and respect and reverence for the Word of God. We're going to read three verses, pray, and sit back down. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse number 10, But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great. He will divide the booty with the strong because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. The title of the message this morning is The Sovereign Servant. The Sovereign Servant. Let's pray. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, as we come to you today, and Lord, as we bow our heads and prepare our hearts to receive the Word of God, I pray that we remember and that the Spirit would put in us a praise and a thankfulness for what today represents. No better day to close out this series, Lord, than Resurrection Sunday. Lord, be with our service this morning. Holy Spirit, speak to us through the words of the Bible this morning. In Jesus' name, I ask this. Amen. You may be seated. Keep your Bibles open for just a second and... Let's look back up at verse number 7. Let's talk about a little bit about what we did last week. Verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. This is the trial of Jesus 
I want you to notice all through this trial that we've got legal terms. He was oppressed. He was judged. He was taken away. These are all legal terms. And all through his trial, I want you to notice that he was silent. He did not say a word. In fact, you look in the Gospels, the only time Jesus spoke was to glorify the Father. But any time he had an opportunity to defend himself, he did not speak. He was silent. And what did his silence during his trial say? It said that he was willing. He was a willing voluntary participant in this affair. And as for his generation, who, who considered? That is to say, who protested? Who protested this? Nobody stepped up. No one came forward. Where were all the people that he healed? Where were all the, all, all the miracles that he had done for people? Where were they at? Where were all the people who cast out demons? Where were they at? Where were his disciples at? They were nowhere to be found. The only disciple we could find was John. Where were the rest of them? The Bible says you strike the shepherd, the sheep will scatter. And that's exactly what happened. That he was cut off from the land of a living. That's an execution term. It's used in Leviticus. It's an execution term. It is like saying he will die by lethal injection. He was executed. He was cut off from the land of the living. Why? For the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. He took, he took our stroke. The stroke was due for me and you. He took our stroke. He took our place. His grave. He died and now it's time for Him to be buried. His grave was assigned with wicked men. He died in between criminals. He was to be disposed of as criminals. His body was to be taken down and thrown into the valley of Hinnom. He was to go where the criminals go. He was to go to the city dump. He was to go to the city sewer where the worm dieth not and the fires burn forever. That is where His body was supposed to go. But God the Father spoke up and God the Father said, no, his humiliation, it stops at the cross. You can't have his body. We're going to give him a proper burial. Yet he was with a rich man in his death. Enter a man named Joseph of Arimathea who pleaded for the body of Christ and God. Oh, how would they would have loved to desecrate his body? How would the, how the Jews would have loved to take him that body off the cross and throw it into the dump and throw it into the sewer and throw it where the criminals go? But God said, no, the cross is enough humiliation. He will undergo no more humiliation. My righteous one will not see corruption. Why? Why was he given a proper burial? Because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. He was sinless. He may have died with our burden of sin on him, but Jesus was sinless. That's why he was given a proper burial. And it was the first small step of his exaltation. When we first started this thing back five weeks ago, back in Isaiah 52, 13, we read that he will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. High refers to his resurrection. 
Lifted up refers to his ascension. And greatly exalted, that hasn't happened yet. That's talking about the second coming. When he comes back as a conquering king. You know, we just read Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12 at the beginning of our service. Something happened immediately after that. You see, there were some disciples on the road to Emmaus. Okay, And Jesus appeared to them after he resurrected, but they did not recognize him as Jesus. I don't know why, either because his form had changed or God had just covered their eyes, but they did not recognize him as Jesus. And they were telling him, hey, did you hear about all this stuff that's going on, how they killed Jesus of Nazareth and he died and we thought he was the Messiah, but he died and, and he, was, he was buried and now they, they can't find his body and they don't know where he's at. And Jesus said to them in verse 25 of Luke 24, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. Jesus looked at them and said, You didn't know the Messiah was supposed to die? You didn't know the Messiah was supposed to suffer? It's in the Bible. Let me show you where it is. And Jesus starts from Genesis and goes through Malachi and shows them himself in the Old Testament. In the same chapter, a few verses later, he did this again in verse 44. Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all the things which are written about me and the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. The Old Testament is about Jesus. This whole book is about Jesus Christ from the beginning to the end. And you see the disciples and all the Jews, they had theology about his glory, but they had no theology about his suffering. Even though it's plain in the text, they, they had Isaiah 53 since Isaiah gave it to him. But for some reason, you know, the Jews are proud people and the Jews couldn't see their Messiah suffering. So they explained it away and they overlooked it. But Jesus said, no, 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 you've got the theology of the glory, but you missed the theology about the suffering. That's why they, did, that's why they missed him when he came. Because they missed all the theology about his suffering. So Jesus taught it to them. Jesus said, yes, the Messiah will be, will be in glory, but the Messiah will also suffer. So, the, so littered all through the Old Testament is, is, is theology about the, the Messiah's glory and theology about his suffering. But you know where the two meet? And one of the most beautiful ways is the theology of the suffering Messiah and the, the theology of the glory of the Messiah meet in Isaiah 53 in such a beautiful way. First, he will come as a suffering servant. Next, he will come as a reigning king. 
Humiliation, then glorification. Cross, then a crown. He will be humbled, then he will be exalted. He will be a slave, and then he will be a king. So far in this series, review just a little bit, we've seen that this song, this servant song, there are four servant songs in Isaiah. Isaiah 53 is the fourth servant song. Um, this servant song, it doesn't begin on Isaiah 53.1. It actually begins in Isaiah 52.13. There's five stanzas to this song. This song is written from the perspective of Israel in the future, in the last days, in the tribulation period, as the 144,000 are preaching to the Jews, two-thirds of the Jews will reject, one-third of the Jews will repent and receive Christ. And when those Jews in the future look back to the cross, Isaiah 53 will be their song. Isaiah 53 will be their lament. It will be their confession. So far in this song, beginning at the first stanza, and the first stanza we saw Christ as the startling servant. He startled people. We talked about how the word sprinkle can mean startle because he astonished. He astonished kings and he astonished nations and he startled them. And uh, he did this because he did this not only because he was marred more than any other man, but because they will see him exalted and they will be dumbfounded and they will have no words and they will have nothing to say when they see the king coming in his glory. Then in the next stanza, we saw that he was the scorned servant. Israel said we did not esteem him. We saw where he was. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? We saw who he was. We saw who his family was. We saw what he did for a living. We saw uh, his ancestors. We looked at all that. We did not esteem him. We considered him a nobody from nowhere that meant nothing. In the next stanza, we saw that he was the substituted servant. You see, they thought Jesus died for his sins. They thought Jesus died for his blasphemy. After all, he did claim to be God. He claimed to be the I Am. He claimed to be alive before Abraham was. We thought he died for his own sin. But then they will confess he bore our griefs. He bore our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. In the next stanza, we saw that He was the silent, slaughtered servant. Like a lamb to the slaughter, He was cut off from the land of the living. He's silent. His mouth doesn't open. Why? Because He's a volunteer. And He did this willingly. Now today, we will see the sovereign servant. What I want to show you about this song is this song in Isaiah 53, it begins with God and it ends with God. God started this thing off, Israel spoke, and now God's going to end it. This whole chapter is the Jews in the future looking back to the cross but it will end with God looking forward 
to the cross. And let me say this, there is a future salvation for the nation of Israel. Many people will come to God. Many people will be saved from all kind of kindreds, all tongues, from all nations. But only one nation is promised to be saved, and that is the nation of Israel. People that preach and teach that God is done with Israel don't know the Bible. If God can break His promise to Israel, God can break His promise to you. But there's a question that must be answered. There's one question that must be answered, and this one question is the reason the whole, book, the whole Bible was written. This whole book here, this whole book was written to answer this one question. What is the question? Here's the question. The question is, how can unrighteous, sinful man be reconciled to a holy, righteous God and avoid being separated eternally from Him in hell? This book was written to answer that question. And the answer can be found all throughout its pages. And it can also be found in Isaiah 53. It can also be found here in verses 10, 11, and 12. Some people say that Isaiah is the fifth gospel. I don't think that. Isaiah is the first gospel. And Matthew is the second. Mark is the third. And Luke is the fourth. And John is the fifth. Isaiah 53 is the first gospel. Now, my sermon today, my message today is, has two sections. The first section is Israel speaking, and the next section is God speaking. So let's look, if you would, at verse number 10. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. The Lord was pleased? Wait a minute. I want you to understand this morning that God did this. God did this to Jesus. God, uh, before the foundation of the world, He sovereignly ordained this to happen to His Son. Romans 8.32, He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us all. This pleased God the Father. Now that goes against what I know as a dad. I wouldn't be pleased to cause harm to my kids. So on the surface, that doesn't make sense to my human brain. So I gotta, we got to dig deep into this and see what's going on, because on the surface, that doesn't jive. Okay, so we got to dig deep into it. John 10, 17, for this reason, this is Jesus speaking, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. Jesus said, God loves me, but the Father loves me because I'm going to lay my life down. Really? God? You're pleased to crush him? Your translation may say bruise, okay? But it's the same word, putting him to grief. Let's talk about that word grief. You know what that word grief means? It means being so grieved you get sick. Have you ever just been so grieved emotionally that you get physically sick from grief? And that's what's, that's what's going on here. Let me say that when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was sweating great drops of blood, 
And he was agonizing and he was, had anxiety and, and, and he was in agony and turmoil. And he asked for the cup to be passed from him, but nevertheless, not his will, but the Lord's will. Do you think it was the pain of the cross that weighed on his mind? Maybe a little. I'm not saying not at all, but maybe a little of that was the pain of the cross. Because do you know what caused him more grief? Was bearing our sin. Our sin is what Jesus dreaded. Our sin being on him, bearing our sin, is what Jesus dreaded more than the physical pain of the cross. The verse continues, if he would render himself as a guilt offering. You see, being the sin sacrifice is what Jesus dreaded more than the physical suffering. You see, sin doesn't bother the natural man. I've said this before. For a lost person, for a natural person, lost people don't struggle with sin. They don't struggle with it. It's just another decision for them. Now, if you're saved and you've got the Holy Spirit, sin bothers you. And when you're close to God, the closer you are to God, the more sin bothers you. If sin doesn't bother you, there's a problem. If sin does not bother you, there's an issue. We've got to fix it. Okay? But, you know, for someone who gets close, the closer you are to God, the more sin bothers you. Well, imagine, if you will, somebody who's sinless, perfect, holy, has never sinned. And all the world sinned from the beginning of time to the end of time, from every man, woman, and child is put on him. Every murder, every rape, every perversion, every single sin put on that sinless person at one time, and he had to bear the horror of all of our sin at once. That's what grieved him. The horror of that. That's what caused him grief. That's what caused him sickness. That's what caused him pain. Hey, listen, the physical pain, the crushing, that was just the icing on the cake. The cake itself was bearing our sin. And that's what Jesus dreaded more than the physical pain of the cross. Let's look a little closer at the word crush. To crush him. You know what some people think? That the, some people think that Jesus is a martyr. Okay, don't call Jesus a martyr. Jesus was not a martyr. He wasn't. Why was Jesus not a martyr? Well, first of all, Jesus was, wasn't not a martyr because he didn't die like a martyr. You see, when martyrs die, and by the way, I think, I believe... Every single Christian should read Fox's Book of Martyrs. Every Christian should read it. It's a very short book. I think you can even look at it, look at, look it up free on the internet and read it. But every Christian should read what the early church went through and the deaths that they died for, for so we could have faith. Okay, these people, they were beheaded, they were fed to the lions, they were burned at the stake, they were thrown from the temple, they were beaten. Bartholomew was filleted alive. These martyrs, there's something about martyrs. Martyrs die with a song on their lips. 
Martyrs die with a song on their lips. You see, when a martyr dies, the grace of God washes over them as they die. And as the Bible says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? In in essence, they die as every believer dies. With the taste of heaven on their lips. See, when a believer dies and has faith in heaven and knows that Jesus, that they're going to close their eyes to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And a believer knows that. A believer dies with the taste of heaven on their lips and the grace of God washes over them. That is not how Jesus died. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Imagine being in a hospital room today and somebody is on their bed and they're drawing their last breath. And with their last breath, they yell out the words, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus didn't die like a believer with the taste of heaven on, their, on, their, on his lips. Jesus died as an unbeliever with the taste of hell on his lips. He died forsaken, separated from God. That was the source of his anxiety. That was the source of his grief. He knew what taking on the burden of the world's sin meant for his relationship with his Father and his connection with the Father. But the verse says the Lord was pleased to crush him. Now, I don't, and the, the God did ordain it, but I don't want you to think that God forced Christ to do this. Not at all. In fact, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.19, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And as he has committed to us the word of reconciliation, these two are partners These two were partners. They were in this together. God God wasn't pleased simply to crush him. God was pleased to crush him because he knew that meant reconciliation. God was pleased to crush him because he knew what the outcome would be. The Lord was pleased to crush him because he would be the guilt offering. Let's read that part again. If he would render himself as a guilt offering. Now, There were five offerings given to the Jews in Leviticus. Five offerings. The burnt offering, peace offering, grain offering, sin offering, and the guilt offering. Now, three of these sacrifices were animal sacrifices. The burnt offering, the sin offering, and the guilt offering were animal sacrifices. And here's what they were. They were Pictures of the deadly results of sin. That's what these were pictures of. But they were just pictures. They were just pictures. You see, the people of God understood that it should have been them on that altar, but God allowed a substitute. God allowed a lamb. God allowed a goat. God allowed a bullock. Allowed a lamb to be a substitute. And even then, those lambs and bullocks, they weren't the substitutes. They were the picture of the substitute. But the fifth offering, 
The offering that's mentioned in this verse, the guilt offering, it's also called the trespass offering. It's the same offering. That fifth offering is different than all the others. It's more comprehensive. It adds another dimension. It adds another aspect to this that the other offerings do not add. And the aspect that it adds is restitution, is satisfaction. The Bible uses the word propitiation. Propitiation is the word that means to satisfy. You see, in the guilt offering, you put the whole animal on there. You put the whole animal on the altar. And when you put the whole animal on there, it's comprehensive. It's all-inclusive. It's complete. It's a satisfying sacrifice. It pays the full debt. In 1 John 4.10, He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Jesus fully satisfies. Jesus fully pays the debt. And so much more than any animal could. Hebrews 9.13, For the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctified for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Next, He will see His offspring. He will prolong His days. Now here's, here's my question. If He's crushed, if He's put to grief, and he becomes the guilt offering. And just so you know, if you are a guilt offering, you die. That's what that means. You become the guilt offering, you die. Your whole self is put on the altar. The whole animal is put on there. The guilt offering dies. So when it says he is the guilt offering, it is saying he is dead. So if he was crushed, if he was put to grief, and if he died as the guilt offering, then explain to me how, will he, how he will see his offspring. Explain to me how he will prolong his days if he's dead. This is the resurrection. This is, this is the resurrection. This is the empty tomb. Friday night, we watched uh, The Passion of the Christ. We recorded it on Palm Sunday. And uh, we figured, it's Good Friday, why not watch it? So I hadn't seen it in a long time. Emily had just seen bits and pieces. I don't think the boys had ever seen it. So we put old Mel Gibson's The Passion on. We watched it. And man, that's a good movie. It really is. And let me tell you something. If what that movie is, if it's even a fraction of what Jesus actually went through, I just can't imagine what he went through for me. But if I had one critique, if I had one critique, right, you get all the way through the movie and you get to that last scene. And that last scene is the resurrection of Christ. It's only about 60 seconds long, man. When you get to the resurrection, man, I'm ready to go another hour. Man, keep on playing. I'm here. Make a three-hour movie. Show me what happens after the resurrection because the resurrection is why we are here. The resurrection is why I'm a Christian. The resurrection is why I have eternal life. 
The resurrection is why I will never die. Without the resurrection, there is no gospel. In Isaiah 53, the Messiah comes back from the dead. His offspring, that's his spiritual descendants. That's me and you. Why is he going to prolong his days? Though he died, he will live forevermore. This is the Romans 10, 9, and 10 of the Old Testament. You believe that God raises Christ from the dead. That's the gospel. And then the verse goes on, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. What's the good pleasure of the Lord? Let me read for you Hebrews 2, 9 and 10. But we do see him who was made a little lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him for whom are all things and through whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. Who is the good pleasure? The sons he brought to glory. Us, we are his good pleasure. John 6, 37, Jesus said, all that the Father gives me will come to me. One day Jesus will see his full bride. One day Jesus will see his full flock. One day Jesus will see all of his children. He will look back at his work of man's redemption. It will be fully accomplished. Then it says it will prosper in his hand. One day, one day, soon and very soon, Jesus is coming back again. And he's not coming as a suffering servant. He's coming as a conquering king. His own hand for a thousand years on the He don't have to do that. He's doing it. He just could start eternity right then. But he does it just to say, I'm in charge. Verse 11, first part. And as a result of the anguish of his soul, he will be satisfied. The Messiah will look back on his work. He will look back at everything he went through. He will see all of his children in heaven. And he will say, no regrets. Every bit of the suffering, every bit of the anguish that he, that he, that he went through, it will have been worth it. He will be satisfied. I'm reminded in the last line of a hymn by Maltby Babcock. This is my Father's world. The battle is not done. Jesus who died shall be satisfied. Earth and heaven be one. Let me check your comfort levels. Anybody too warm? Raise your hand. Everybody good? Okay. Here in the middle of verse 11, things shift. This is no longer Israel talking. From this point on, God is speaking the pronouns change from plural to singular. The verbs change from past tense to future tense. And this is no longer the Jews looking back to the cross. This is God the Father looking forward to the cross. He started this song and now He's going to end it. By His knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as He will bear their iniquities. You know what this verse does? Isaiah's been talking about my servant this whole time. And what Isaiah, what Isaiah does right here is he confirms not only the identity of the servant, but he confirms the deity of the servant. You see, because rabbis, some rabbis before Christ, 
And every rabbi since Christ has taught in Isaiah 53 that the suffering servant is either Israel or that the suffering servant is Isaiah. But here he calls the servant the righteous one. The righteous one, only one man can bear that title. Jesus is the only one who can bear that title. You see, the Jews knew the title, the righteous one, was a messianic title. You see, that's why in Peter in Acts 3, when he preached that the Jews had disowned the holy and righteous one for murderer, though he was given the righteous one as a messianic title. Stephen did the same thing in Acts 7 when Stephen was about to be stoned and he looked at those people and he preached and he said that the Old Testament prophets had preached about the coming of the righteous one and he used that as a messianic title. Again, in Acts chapter 22, Paul is on the road to Damascus. He gets struck blind and he goes to Ananias. And when he gets to Ananias, Ananias looks at Saul, that Jewish zealot who had been persecuting and killing Christians, who had been raised to fight for Judaism, who studied the Old Testament. He knew the law. He knew the Bible. He, Ananias looked at Paul. He looked at that Pharisee and he said, Jesus, the one you saw the road to Damascus, he is the righteous one. And he used it as a messianic title. He was saying he is the Messiah. So now we know the identity and the deity of the servant. It is the Messiah who is God. Because then it says, justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. What will the righteous one do? That's what the righteous one will do. He will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Well, how will he justify the many? The righteous one will provide righteousness for the many. He will provide righteousness for them. That's how he justifies them. Let me explain something to you this morning. God believes in the doctrine of justification. He believes in it thoroughly. He believes in the doctrine of justification. What is the doctrine of justification? Before God's law, humans stand condemned. We stand condemned before God's law. There is no way we can make ourselves right with God. There is no way we can do that. But Jesus became our substitute. And He... The sins of the people were put on Christ's account and he paid the price. The innocent died for the guilty. And when I have faith in the gospel and when I have faith in the cross, I am made righteous through him. That is the doctrine of justification. And God thoroughly believes in it. He knew there was no way that we could save ourselves. That's why he sacrificed himself. It was the only way to save us. And God's not going to force you to be with him. God wouldn't send somebody to hell. God doesn't send anybody to hell. He's given you an option. Whether you choose it or, or lose it is up to you. But God doesn't send you to hell. He's given everybody an option. God's not going to make you be with him if you don't want to be with him. He's not going to do that. He's not going to force you to be with him. Okay? 
Let's look at the first words of that statement in that verse. It says, by his knowledge. What, what does that mean there? What does that mean, by his knowledge? Well, what it could mean is there are other places in Isaiah where it says that other nations lack knowledge. So this could mean that the, the Messiah is bringing perfect knowledge. But let me ask you a question. Are we justified by his knowledge? No, we're justified by his death. So what does this mean? Well, the Hebrew language allows us to interpret this a different way. And it allows us to interpret it like this. By the knowledge of him, the righteous one will justify the many. It's only through knowing the righteous one you will be justified. It's through the knowledge of him he will bear your iniquities. The Great Commission in Isaiah 53, if you want to be justified, you have to know him. You have to know him. Let's go down to verse 12. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great. He will divide the booty with the strong because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. It says because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. In verse 11, we saw his deity. Here in verse 12, we see his humanity. It says he was poured out. And, and what this is, is this is a passive verb. And we've seen this before back in verse 4 with the word afflicted. That word afflicted means he allowed himself to be afflicted. This poured, it means he allowed himself to be poured out. He allowed himself to be numbered with the transgressors. Transgressors. What does that mean, numbered with the transgressors? He left heaven. He robed himself in flesh to walk among us. He allowed himself to be numbered with us. In fact, in Luke twenty-two thirty-seven, he quotes this right before he goes to the cross. I was numbered with the transgressors. I chose down to come down here and be a part of you. He looked like everybody else. There was nothing royal appearance about him. He wasn't like King Saul who was head and shoulders above everybody else and that's why they picked him to be king just because he looked kingly. There was nothing kingly about Jesus. You know, he was just a regular guy. Philippians 2.7 But emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself becoming obedient to the point of death even on the cross. Yet he himself bore the sin of many. He was the only one who could do this. Okay? He was the scapegoat that carried the sins away. And interceded for the transgressors. transgressors. He is our intercessor. He is our mediator. He is our bridge to God. He is Jacob's ladder that connects us with God, that connects us with heaven. Isaiah 2, uh, uh, 1 Timothy 2, 5. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. You don't have to pray to anybody else. There is nobody else that can connect you to God except the man, Jesus Christ. He is the only one, and that's not me saying that. That is the Bible saying it. I want you to notice that all the other verbs in this chapter are completed and they show completed action. But this interceded verb, it's a continuous verb. 
Because He's not done interceding for us. He intercedes for us daily. And this morning we're going to close with the beginning of verse 12. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and then he will divide the booty with the strong. The text ends, Isaiah 53 ends with the second coming. Yes, he will rule. Yes, he will reign. Yes, he will conquer. And yes, everything will be his. But I want you to notice that this look into the millennial kingdom, this is, this is the second coming, this is a look into the millennial kingdom. This look into the millennial kingdom doesn't have Christ ruling and reigning by Himself. He's sharing it with some people. It says that he sh- all this stuff that He's got, He's got all the spoils, He's got the earth, He's got the kingdom. He's redeemed the nation. He's over the whole world. He's got the new heaven and the new earth. Here it is. And what does He do? Is He shares it. He shares it with the great. Well, who is the great? It's me and you. It's us. See, that same word a few verses earlier is translated the many. He'll take our iniquities, the many. We're the many there. But the same word in this verse is translated great. Why is that? Why did the translator do that? Because by this time, we will be great. We will be made great through him. And then it says he will divide the spoil with the strong. Who is the strong? We are the strong. We were the weak ones that he made strong because he finds strength in weakness. 2 Corinthians 2.14 But thanks be to God who one day He will lead us in triumph. One day He will lead us in victory. We will be made great. We will be made strong. Not because of us, but because of Him. Everything His will be ours. One day, right before He splits the eastern sky wide open, One day the Jews will repent. The Jews will make Isaiah 53 their song. They will make it their lament. They will make Isaiah 53 their confession. Isaiah 53 is the story of the redemption of Israel. The Jews will make this confession one day. But today, everyone must make this confession now. This is a confession that everyone must make. If you have never accepted Christ as your Savior, what better day to experience a new life than the day Jesus came back from the dead? What better way, what better day to do that than today? You know that you're lost. If you're in here and, and you know you're saved and you've got Jesus in your heart and you know you've accepted Him, I'm not talking to you, but if there's somebody in here that you say, Brother Brad, I don't know where I'd go if I died. I don't know where I'd go. I don't know if I'd go to heaven. I don't know if I'd go to hell. I do not know. Well, you can find that out. You can know that. For a fact, you can know it. 
today is the day of salvation. Don't let the day pass you by. So if you're in here today and you don't know that you're saved and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, then today's the day to fix that. We're going to have an invitation just in just a minute. During that invitation, if you don't know that you're saved, you've got a couple options. You can come down to this altar and get my attention. We'll have somebody take a Bible and show you. You can wait till the service is over and you can ask me at the door. Can I talk to you after the service? And we'll go sit in the back after the service and we'll talk. But know that you're going to heaven before you leave here today. And to the Christian, Jesus is coming back. He will share his kingdom with the great. He will share the spoils with the strong. We have a future beyond the grave because he came back from the dead. Remember that as we meditate on the message this morning.